song back home from 1970 off the album golden earring golden earring hailed from the hague netherlands and they were formed in 1961 well if you call a 13 year old george coimans and a 15 year old rennis garretson um forming a band uh coimans on guitar garretson on bass they didn't really get going until uh coimans was 17 and wrote please go uh it's a nine. 1965 Mersey beatish Rolling Stone type of pop song. Um, you can look it up on YouTube. I know there's uh, that's where I found the song and hear that. Uh, like to read you some lyrics from that song. Please go off the album Just Earrings. In 1965, the band was going under the name Golden Earrings at that point. Listen, baby, you can't imagine what happens to me now. You said you want to be free like other people always told me before. And so if you won't hurt me, don't stay in this place where our love started. I ask you. I ask you now. What you have to understand about 1965 is that Dylan actually went electric that year. Um, This is why rock and roll in that era kind of has the connotations with some, some sort of authenticity that it didn't have before. In 1965... You know, the Rolling Stones and the Beatles and, and even, you know, Golden Earrings here are playing straight-up pop music. Um, they're not saying anything that is more than, you know, I have feelings um, or let's sing a happy song, uh, things like that that we would see in popular music. Uh, so the consensus with, with the English-speaking world um, was that rock and roll was pop music. It's like maybe we see uh, electronic music as now, or maybe some people see hip-hop as, or different forms uh, that are, you know, very misunderstood. Uh, This was pure pop music. So when Dylan went electric with bringing it all back home in 1965, he brought the authenticity from folk music, um, that raw, from-the-earth kind of, uh, you know, respect to lyricism. That, that Dylan brought, uh, that had in, had in the folk scene, was then brought to rock and roll. And then rock and roll had that, uh, that changed narrative where all of a sudden they're starting to think about, you know, uh, more poetic things to say uh, and be a bit more adventurous with, with how they say things. 
Um, you know, that affected everybody. That affected the Beatles, certainly. Uh, not as much the Stones. You know, they never really get too deep into things. They're kind of about having a good time. What the Stones did do, though, is they fell into the whole hippie kind of kind of vibe, as well as Golden Earring. Uh, Golden Earring in 1967 recorded the song Dong Dong Dicky Diggy Dong. Uh, look that one up on YouTube, too. I couldn't find the lyrics. I would like to uh, read them to you. Uh, by that point in 1967, Barry Hay joined the band. Uh, he would add a heavier, gruffer Roger Daltrey voice to Coyman's uh, uh, Pete Townsend, thinner, high voice, uh, tenor, rather. Um, so, th- you know, that's an interesting thing, too, when a lot of people, if you don't know too much about Golden Earring, you kind of assume that it's the same guy because they have, you know, a similar accent uh, because they're Dutch. Uh, but they share about 50-50. They, they really do uh, a lot of cooperative singing as, uh, you know, Townsend and Daltrey did it with The Who. Um, so, you know, when you listen, listen to the songs I'm going to play, you know, keep that in mind, too, that it's two guys doing it. Um, so around this point, in 1966, the Birds' uh, song Eight Miles High really affected Golden Earring. Uh, and what the birds would do is they would start to jam stuff out. And Golden Earring did this uh, just like other bands did, you know, that were influenced by the same kind of behavior. And they would actually play, uh, Golden Earring would play eight miles high up to 45 minutes long in a set. I don't know why anyone would really want to see that. I guess it's one of those things that yeah, if you're on drugs, I, I suppose maybe, uh, you know, that would be a, an appealing thing. Um, I think 45 minutes is a little bit too long for one song. I don't think Eight Miles High is that great, but then again, I wasn't I wasn't there. You know, they uh, they probably it was probably way more powerful at that time. When Golden Earring were playing it, though, it was three years later. It was 1969, um, and they started to get into be more of a, a hard rock band. I mean, Led Zeppelin emerged in in 1969. King Crimson released in the court of Cr- the Crimson King, um, and Led Zeppelin was inspired by Ian Anderson that year, the enigmatic front frontman of Jethro Tull. Uh, who, if you look up videos of them, man, it, you know, between that era, like 1969, 1971, and, and even later in the 70s, those guys put on one hell of a show. I've seen them, uh, I saw them, I don't know, some, like maybe 2002 or three, and they were still awesome. He was still standing up on one leg. Um, they put on a great show. Uh, and Led Zeppelin was you know, says they were inspired in 1969 when they, when they, when they uh, toured with Jethro Tull. And really after that, they never even had a supporting band. They would just jam out so long that, you know, they didn't even invite anybody else to play with them because they were already established and uh, they were massive in the United States. So in 1969, uh, Golden Earring released an album called Eight Miles High, um, and this is this was the era of psychedelia. 1969 is your psychedelia area. Uh, that's where you start to get Pink Floyd um, coming in too. Tommy's a little trippy that year. Um, what else came out? Deep Purple came uh, came out the year earlier, uh, in, or that year in 1969 with Deep Purple. Uh, so they were certainly a heavier band that Golden Earring would have been listening to. 
And that's where, you know, back home comes out of in 1970 is is the effect uh, of those bands getting heavier, the Who getting heavier, um, as well as Black Sabbath was was uh, out in 1972. And and if you 1970, not 1972, uh, and and that's important too because you know Black Sabbath is really heavy. Everybody who knows anything about metal knows that it starts with Black Sabbath. Uh, what you'd be interested to know is that even Black Sabbath was being influenced by these other people like Golden Earring. And I'm going to get to that a, a little later. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, this sounds a lot like this is Spinal Tap. And you would be exactly right. This shit really did happen. Bands went from harmless pop bands in like 1965 to flower rock in in 1967 to psychedelia in 1969 and then there were there were splits so you get prog rock and you get harder rock and they all emerge with each other as well um and spinal tap just perfectly parried this whole thing and if uh, my uncle was playing me some christopher guest uh who played nigel tufnell in the movie and wrote a lot of the songs but he was doing a lot of parodies in, in 1971 through 1975 through National Lampoon that are absolutely brilliant. Like he has his finger right on the pulse of what all of these these rock musicians are doing and, and he's making a parody of it at, at a really early time. Uh, so I would look that up too uh, with Christopher Guest and National Lampoon and his, his uh, parody songs that he released. The next song I'm going to be playing uh, by... Golden Earring is called She Flies on Strange Wings um, off the album Seven Tears, and that's in 1971. Other albums that came out that year, Black Sabbath with Master of Reality, uh, Deep Purple with Fireball, um, Aqualung came out that year. You know, Aqualung's one of my favorite albums. I I certainly think it's one of uh, Jethro Tull's best. Uh, so things are starting to emerge. It's starting to get a little bit proggier here. Uh, so you'll see hard rock mixed with a bit of, uh, prog elements and definitely the whole, uh, jam orchestration, but the, the songs are starting to get more and more complex and you'll see that in the next few years. Uh, so again, this will be She Flies on Strange Wings off the album Seven Tears in 1971. Lonely is the night without you. Just as lonely as the shepherd without sheep. And where flies the falcon in the high sweet air? Without hunting his prey in valleys
I can't get through to you. Even when I do, you slip away like sand through the fingers of my hand. Satisfaction is just another word for pain. Living without, it's going to drive you insane. I kneel, my love, a thousand feet below you. Perform the things you want me to. Finally, they're being profound. How awesome is that? Satisfaction is just another word for pain. Um, ignorance is bliss, I suppose that would be. It's it's not the optimism um, that you feel from the, from the previous years. Uh, and you're starting to see more complex and very arranged music as well. Um, I can't help but think of Eight Miles High when I think of the title A Thousand Feet Below You. It's as if it's done as a contrast to the bird's optimism and, let's face it, you know, just rampant drug use. Um, and just the letting yourself just... I call it masturbation on stage, the, the soloing and the jamming. Um, it, it has its place. Like, I'm not going to dog it that much. I appreciate when somebody can, can play that well. Um, but, you know, they're, they're starting to consider these things, and they're making more complex of arrangements. Um, and they say, perform the things you want me to. Perform the things you want me to. They're admitting their pop past, and they've come to a realization as a band that they're not going to do what the man says anymore or what, you know, the audiences are even wanting at the time. They're going to go their own way. And in 1972, we're starting to hear um, a change. In 1971, 1972, there's more complex jams mixed in synths and strings and, and complex arrangements. Uh, and this is what happens when popular music goes rogue and can do as it pleases. All of a sudden, all of these popular artists, uh, you know, took a, took a page out of out of the Beatles book and started to do whatever the hell they wanted to. And uh, by 1971, these musicians have been on the road and playing for large audiences since they were teenagers. And now they're beginning to put all these ideas together that they learned. And quite astonishingly, they do it all pretty much at the same time. You know, it's a very, very tight period in which uh, all of this comes together. You know, I would I would say that the the big... The big albums that came out are in the Court of the Crimson King in 1969. Um, Aqualung in 1971 uh, was certainly good. Uh, you know, Adam Hart Mother in 1970 by Pink Floyd. Uh, things are getting a bit bigger. Um, Thick as a Brick came out in 1972. Uh, people kind of overlook Jethro Tull a lot. Uh, you, you really shouldn't. <laughs> uh, you know, everybody thinks of the whole, you know, they, they won a Grammy over, uh, over Metallica. They're both pop bands. Come on now. The, you know, and you can't overlook how Jethro Tull, uh, how their, their presence, their, their heavy presence too, especially with, with Aqualung, hasn't, you know, had a place in hard rock and, and in an in a indirect way uh, metal. 1973 for me is my favorite year. Like 1973 has the most disgustingly awesome albums. Uh, a lot of my favorites are all from this year, and I was shocked to learn what albums were released in 1973, including Golden Earrings album Moon Tan. Uh, and in that year, Dark Side of the Moon was released by Pink Floyd, Houses of the Holy, Quadrophenia, Inner Visions by Stevie Wonder, Selling England by the Pound by Genesis, Raw Power by the Stooges in 1973. Uh, Aladdin Sane by David Bowie, Berlin by Lou Reed, The Wild and Innocent in the East Street Shuffle by Bruce Springsteen, Pronounced Leonard Skinner came out that year, 
Um, Future Days by Can, Catch a Fire by The Wailers. So Bob Marley is on the scene in 1973. Let's Get It On by Marvin Gaye. And Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath by Black Sabbath. Uh, that last one, I told you I'd talk about this. Ozzy says that Tony Iommi was inspired by the July 1973 um, Moontan by Golden Earring to the point that he was able to break free from his bout of writer's block and create Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath. He was inspired by that album. And what a lot of people, you know, they'll ask you as a musician what your, what your influences are. Uh, and a lot of times it's, it's more indirect than you would think. You know, uh, a lot of musicians that are trying to create something new, at least, uh, are going to not try to listen to as many people, but they'll try to do something completely different. Uh, what we mean by an inspiration is it's inspiration for competition, really, is what it is. It's like, I have to outdo this. I can do better. That, you know, that was impressive, but I think I can, do, I can put this together with my ideas and make something different. Um, and when I listen to that album, it still sounds like Sabbath. But there's these little Zeppelin-esque bridges with acoustic guitars, and it, you know, it's it's a very very interesting album. I'm not as you know completely uh, knowledgeable on on, on Sabbath albums. Uh, haven't gotten around to them yet, but maybe I can do that, you know, very soon. So in 1973, you could call it the year of the concept album. Uh, pop began to give way to jam and jam began to give way to art these guys are starting to actually perform art and they're saying more profound things uh and the next two songs i'm going to be playing are off of uh uh the 1973 album moontan by golden earring and uh i'm going to play radar love and i'm going to play are you receiving me um off of that album are receiving me is my favorite song, also the longest. That album has five songs on it, and it's like forty-five minutes long or something crazy like that. Uh, so the idea, the idea that Golden Earring had for this, they were like, "We need to break through to America. We really need a, a, a hit single so that we can start touring over there," which they did um, later to great success. And so they asked themselves, what do Americans love? And the answer was driving cars. So they wrote Radar Love, uh, which is about, you know, it's, it's one of the quintessential American driving songs, you know, in, in, in our minds uh, from that era. You know, it pumps you up when you're driving and you're listening to Radar Love. And they did that completely intentionally. It's actually really the only sig- single on the album and it's a good six minutes long, but there's a, there's a radio edit that they do. You know, they kept that in mind when they recorded it. Uh, but it, it's, a, it's a pretty big jam. And the other ones are, are more, more of a concept. There's, there's you know, this story about a, a, a dancer at the Moulin Rouge. Um, and, you know, there's, there's all this kind of description of things. Uh, so I'm going to read a little bit of uh, the lyrics from Radar Love before I get to it. I've been driving all night, my hands wet on the wheel. There's a voice in my head that drives my heel. It's my baby calling, says I need you here. And it's half past four and I'm shifting gear. When she is lonely and the longing gets too much, she sends a cable coming in from above. Don't need a phone at all. We've got this thing called radar love. We've got a wave in the air. Radar love.
driving all night, my hands wet on the wheel. There's a voice in my head that drives my heel.
No more speed, I'm almost there. Gotta keep cool now, gotta take care. Last car to pass, here I go. And the line of cars drove down real slow. And the radio played that forgotten song. Sang his same song. Yeah. 
Now, I'm not going to claim to know a whole lot about the events after 1973. 1973 is my favorite year, and after that, I feel like a lot of these bands um, that were in the hard rock and prog rock and really coming up from 1965 and getting to 1973 uh, uh, peaked with their artistic output. I think it was just overtaken by new forms of music like, you know, uh, a disco or, you know, what would be you know, that, that whole thing. Um, I don't claim to know too much about that period. It doesn't interest me as much. Uh, the bands that I listen to in this area don't really change too much between, you know, 1974 and, and 1976. Uh, they're, they're, you know, they, they figured out their formula. They, they got with what they like and, you know, they push the boundaries a little too far sometimes. And there's a reaction in music to then, to that and their record sales, you know, no doubt, drop off um after after 1973 i would imagine maybe they just continue just by just because you know led zeppelin puts out a crap album it's better than anything else that anybody puts out you know it's still crap but it sells a ton uh i don't really listen to to led zeppelin in in this era uh, either uh maybe it's my personal opinion maybe those are the best albums and and I'm wrong, and that they'll prove to be historically the most creative albums that these bands uh, came out with. But to my ear, to my sensibilities, which is informed by you know the English speaking world and and what our musical preferences are at any given time, is that 1973 was was fucking killer. That was a good damn year, uh, and you, you would like to hear more years like that. Uh, so I'm gonna play violins um uh off of the album to the hilt in 1976 uh kill me uh off the album switch in 1975 and as i said they're you know they figured out their formula they got their thing going um and they're just going to continue it Uh, i have to play violins just out of principle i just think that they have one of the most ridiculous lyrics that i've ever seen in my life uh, in that song, violins, which definitely has com, you know, like a, a an audible similarity to violence as well. So you know they're alluding to a few things. Uh, here's the lyrics off of that song, violins. I guess nobody knew the Barcelona Zoo has an albino monkey that could trigger the mood and provoke monkey motions. So when the shit flies high through the Barcelona sky, the crowd stands by, a cheering, cold-blooded, warm-hearted violin. Hooked on high-speed energy, cold-blooded, warm-hearted violin, cats pumping adrenaline, warm-blooded, cold-hearted violins, see them lives tonight in the city. I can hear them playing. Monkey. Albino monkey that could trigger the mood of monkey emotions. Okay, this is uh, Cessois from 1975, and then we're going to hear that song about the Barcelona monkey. Uh, violins after that. Remember that song called Kill Me from Victims Last Hip Too much of a He paid for money 
ce soir, ce soir, assassination d'un rock and roll star, ce soir, ce soir, assassination d'un rock and roll star.
So yeah, you hear a bit of a change there. Um, some more keyboards, uh, a little bit. Uh, some use of uh, the French language. Uh, as I said, they were from the Netherlands, and, and it's important to know that they were always big in the Netherlands, really. They, they've always been present. Um, George Coyman's, Rennes Garretson, and Barry Hay have been together since 1965. They've always been a band, those three people. Um, which is, is pretty amazing. And there's, there's a few other bands that, you know, last, uh, from 1965 on, like, a, you know, the Rolling Stones with a, with a large core of their group, uh, staying the same. Uh, and they always hit the charts, you know, here and there in, um, in the Netherlands and in Europe and tour in Europe, pretty much solo now, uh, their big time was in the in the 70s, like I said, with Radar Love and, and that kind of age was really their their big American days, I suppose you say. Not not to say that the music that they do in 75 or 76 isn't bad. Like it's those are good albums. Uh, Switching to the Hilt, I like those albums a lot. It's about where I cut off. I I haven't listed anything past 1976, although they did have one more um, hit in America. And uh, that was the song Twilight Zone off the 1982 album Cut. And that went to number 24 in the United States. That's high. Moontan went to 12 in 1973. Cut went to uh, 24 in the United States in 1982. And I'm sure you know the song Twilight Zone. Uh, I don't think I have to do too much of an introduction. But, you know, notice how... How they've changed. They've changed this entire time. They've been, you know, in a process of adaptation. I think the early 80s, like 82, I wouldn't be surprised if we look at that and see a lot of bands from the from the late 60s, early 70s, like, try to have a career again in 1982. I wouldn't be surprised if, like, maybe that was a dry period in which we let some old geezers in. Um, I love Golden Hearing. Like, it's a good song. I'm not trying to cut you down. But, you know, the sound that we, we typically get from the 80s, uh, is easily dated as the 80s because we went really heavily into digital and all the music became really exceptionally precise and the equipment that we have you know can replace a single drum kit and and you can control your environment so much that we we did it to a point where it's kind of uh it's been overdone since and the music that we're hearing right now will sound dated i'm sure in the future as well uh but you know the 80s were a like a huge difference in the 80s with with recording technology so that's the era that twilight zone uh comes out um so i'm gonna play that and i hope you enjoyed my first uh podcast i'm gonna do some more music ones but i'm gonna skip around and do different topics as well uh i just thought this would be a neat um experiment to introduce a band to uh you know, that, that a lot of people really don't know about or would just think of, you know, as, as two songs, but they're really in the mix. Um, you know, not in, incredibly influential in American music, but they definitely have their place in it, and they still get played on the radio today. So I figured I'd tell you a little bit about them because I've, uh, you know, have several other albums, and I'm a fan of them. And uh, so, yeah, that's, that's that. And uh, here is Twilight Zone off the album Cut in 1982.